Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. In Ireland, we love a good story. And I'm lucky enough to be able to chat to people from all over the world to hear their story and to hear about their life in Dublin. In this podcast, we want to be able to learn from the stories of others so that people who have recently moved to Dublin can get the most out of their time here. He's like a magic man. Yeah. <laughs> that was a Disappear. After play his PlayStation, right? But yeah, no, so I, was I very good? No, probably not. I didn't give myself as much time as I did with the, uh, the spoken word. But like, what was it that kind of drove you to get into any sort of comedy? Um, I start, so mine was a bit like different in that. Um, so I'd always been kind of interested in like creative arts and creative work. So like when I was 10, I used to like play Pokemon a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'd draw my own Pokemon and stuff like that. And then um, when I was, I always get, I'd gone to comic books, wrote my own comic books for a while. Then when I was 15, I moved to Nigeria. So what happened was it was meant to be a two week holiday, <laughs> got there straight to boarding school stayed for two years instead of just like two. i packed for two weeks as well mm-hmm. they just threw away the ticket stayed there didn't have any and when i was there i had no creative opportunities at all i couldn't pursue any like drawings or comic books or anything they don't really have any like creative like field there for anything it's either you're a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer so um, when i was there i was like well, if i ever come back to ireland and i get into a creative field I'm going to go after it, like, immediately, like, head down and work hard. And I got lucky when I was 17, came back to Ireland, did a bit of screenwriting, then kind of lost creative direction. Then um, in Nigeria, we didn't have Netflix at the time. So I had just got Netflix back. And I'll just, you ever just go on Netflix and, like, go through your, go through Netflix and put things on your list mm-hmm. that you're never going to watch. So I was, like, doing that for days. And then one day I opened Netflix and there's this big trailer 
and um, it was Dave Chappelle. You, you guys know yeah, Dave Chappelle? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know him at the time. I didn't really follow stand-up, but I just saw oh, 10 years, he's making a comeback, the king of comedy. And I was like, this guy can't be that funny. You know? yeah, <laughs> and I yeah, exactly yeah. like that. I was like, that nah, can't be that funny. So I watched on. I think I wanted to watch like 10 minutes because I thought I'd get bored. Watched the whole thing. And then literally from there, I was like, I'm just going to start stand-up. I remember just walking to the kitchen being like, oh, mom, I'm just going to do stand-up right now. And she was like, all right, baby, do whatever you want. <laughs> and she literally was like, all right. She did. She, but she probably just didn't even think I would do it. But I just got into it and did my first gig when I was like 17. Wow. Didn't go um, as well as I would have liked. And then I was like, oh, it was like, it went well. It went bad enough that I realized this is an actual craft. You can't mm -hmm. just stand up. And say what you think is where you have to actually write and all that so um i spent like nine months i was in sixth year so i had to like focus on the leaving sir but i'd also like focus on like i'd do a lot of research and how to get better at writing jokes and then um i did the second gig at the hapenny actually mm -hmm. and ever since then it's been going well like being been doing pretty well since then and wh where was your first gig the first gig i did so since i was 17 they wouldn't let you into the pubs. So I, I texted um, Tony Ferns. He used to run um, Battle of the Axe at the Hapenny. It's mm -hmm. I don't think it's around anymore. But um, he basically was like, yeah, you're too young. We could know, like, you can't get into the pub, so I can't book you. I was like, all right, I'll wait till I'm 18. Then it was culture night, and he was doing an event. I don't know where the gig was, but he was doing it in, like, a center in somewhere in Dublin. My mom drove me there, mm -hmm. about 60 people in the audience. And um, yeah, so that's how I was able to get around that loophole of like, being young. yeah, and being able to gig. So then it was a good opportunity and thanked them for it. And then the second time was with him again, then the third and the fourth. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I kind of started to break out to other places. But um, it was fun. Camille, you mentioned something which I have to ask you about. Mm -hmm. How did a two week holiday to Nigeria turn into two years in boarding school in Nigeria? <sighs> Thing is, this this sounds like you were sent to prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I always. What say. did you do? <laughs> yeah, that's why whenever people are like, "Oh, have you ever been to that?" I'm always like, "Yeah, I served two seasons." That's <laughs> why. Like, yeah, what's it called? It like what happened to me is kind of like a. It's almost like a a Nigerian folks folk tale, like a myth. Like there's always if you talk to a Nigerian, they'll always talk about that one person who what what happened to me. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, I know someone." who went to Nigeria for two weeks and stayed for two years. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, that happened to me. And they'd be like, oh shit, like I've heard of it happening to people, <laughs> but you're the first person I've actually ever seen it happen to. And um, I think it was more, uh, I don't think my parents planned it that way because we we, pay, we packed for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't bring all our clothes with us. Like there was some stuff that I was like, oh, I'm only gone for two weeks. I'm just going to leave them back home. We still had our place in Dunshockland. We just moved. I literally, I remember like two months in, I was like, when are we going home? Because it was over the summer. <laughs> I was just like, when are we going home? And I'll never forget. I saw my mom holding the return ticket. She just threw it in the bin. And that's when I was like, oh, it's over. But well, what was their justification for staying? I think it, they just wanted them. Um, they just wanted me to get uh, more in tune with um, the culture. And my dad lives in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So he wanted us over. He still lives there now. He just wanted us over more. And then people always feel so sorry for me when I say, but to be honest, I think it was the best thing that could have happened to me. And that sometimes when, since I had everything taken away, you kind of realize what you're taking for granted. Mm -hmm. Like you would like, even the thing that I missed the most when I was in Nigeria was just the library. 
like just having a quiet place to go and write and like even the jo- library in Dunshockland if you walk in there and say oh do you know a tall guy with glasses they're gonna be like oh yeah Sean the comedian because <laughs> I'm in there I'm literally in there all the time like they'll make jokes here like I'm always in there all the time always writing on writing material and stuff like that so like a li- the library was the thing I missed the most just being able to work on stuff so like even with comedy like that's why I try my best because I remember when I didn't have any opportunity mm-hmm. to do and there are a lot of people in Nigeria probably the same or do have any real creative like venue avenues to go down so um that's why like I try to focus as much on stand-up now as possible um, what, so, what does um like a day in the life kind of look like you're you're an up-and-coming comedian you seem really dedicated in the sense that you, you, you obviously have a real respect for the art and how, how it is an art and the writing that goes into it. Mm. Um, so percentage, maybe percentage-wise, how much do you enjoy the writing aspect of it and how much do you enjoy performing it? I'd say that the ratio is like um, maybe 60-40 in favour of writing. Like, when I started, I wanted to just write for other comedians. I didn't want to perform myself. I just liked the writing, creative aspect of it. But um, I figured that no one's going to let a 17-year-old write for them just because he, he claims to be funny. Like, they're going to have to see me do it. So when I started performing, it wasn't even I wanted to start performing. I was like, oh, if I can show people that my jokes are funny, maybe they'll let me write for them. And even the first time I did, I didn't like performing. Second time... The gig went well, but I still didn't really like performing. It was only the third time that I clicked and I was like, you know, I'm actually just keep on performing and writing as well. But um, I do like, the, I get, um, like doing stand-up, you kind of get a high from, mm. um, from doing it. But I get a higher high from writing good jokes than I would performing a good set, if you get me. But is the high, when you write, when you write something and you're like, I'm excited about this, mm. Is it because you know you're gonna perform it? Is it you know you're gonna see this land? Like, or do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, is the yeah. high of writing connected to the high of performing? I'd say it's separate. I think the high of writing would be um, it'd be more of a I can't believe I did that. Like, you know, <laughs> it'll be more like oh, this is really really great. But that high kind of um, usually in two days time if I read the back. I'll be like, you know what, this isn't as great mm-hmm. as what I taught when I originally wrote it. But um, I think with stand-up, you have to just believe that you're funny because it's so easy to write something. Two days later, read it back and be like, oh, this is not that funny. I never do it. But you kind of have to believe, oh, this is funny. Or not even believe, but like let the crowd tell you what's funny and what's not funny. I have an image of uh, your mother standing in the kitchen and all of a sudden hearing you in your room laughing your head off like <laughs> this one's gonna be so good yeah. and your mom is like what are you doing you know? yeah my mom is like i'm actually i i i am lucky that i had um i have supportive parents like my mom is very she's actually coming to a couple of my shows next week right. so she's quite the first supportive. time Pardon? for the first time she's actually went to my first show and then um, she went when i started off she would go to almost all my shows but um, she kept on giving me advice. She'd be like, oh, um, you need to loosen up on stage, <laughs> you know? And I'd read all the like articles of how to get there and they're like, oh, that comes with time. So I'd be like, mom, that comes with time, that comes with time. Every day she'd be like, loosen up, loosen up. So I was like, she'd be like, you're too scientific with the jokes and all. So I was like, you know what? You're banned. <laughs> I properly banned her from all my gigs. And then I think um, about a year later, I was doing a gig in um, Galway 
and she came down to see me and then she saw me on stage and she was like oh you have loosened up and i was like i told you you know that's why you're bad like but that's how stand-up is like it, it, like even like if you saw me um two months ago i was a different stand-up from when i was now when she sees me um next week it's gonna be a bit nerve-wracking because before i didn't really curse mm-hmm. on stage but now i will throw i don't even curse at home like i was raised mm-hmm. just not to curse i have younger brothers so now like before i go i'm gonna be like your mom you know, yeah. I might I might get a bit a bit risque on stage, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure she won't mind. Hopefully, you know. What type of jokes do you uh, do you talk about? Are you, uh, were you a clean comic? Well, obviously not anymore. <laughs> cursing, but did you used to be a clean comic? Have you evolved into observational? Are you a storyteller? What type of? Uh... I'd say um, I'm more observational. Like I just try to talk about my life and things that I'm, I've only really kind of started finding my style in the last couple of months and i'd say it's just more talking about my life you know um things that have happened to me and trying to say in a funny way um i try to write as clean as possible um i wouldn't have too many curse words or i wouldn't talk about um too many vulgar things i just i added them um, like risky material to my set just last week and it didn't work out so it's not for me you <laughs> know it's not it's not for me so i'm just gonna try to keep it as clean as but like right now i'm still in like the stage of um like you asked me earlier on if i'd want to be a full-time comic like right now the way i see these next like two years is me finding out what type of comic comic i'm gonna be like what's the best thing for me to do so like that's why i need to do as many gigs as possible because the crowd kind of tells you what they want to see from you if you get mm. me so um, that's right. Right now, it's just to like figure out what type of stand up mm. I can do. And uh, you said you were doing a gig in um, the Sugar Club the yeah. other night, last uh, night, yesterday, last night. Yeah. Uh, what 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 do you gain from watching other comics um, perform? And do they give you any support and advice on what your next step is? Especially, you're quite young. You're 22. Mm. Like, uh, yeah. how are they supportive of your uh, of your career too? I love watching like older comedians like learning picking I'll always ask them I've asked a couple people on the scene like what well, I even just on Friday asked them a comedian Becky Chiato asked her what she thinks I could do to get better I've asked John Spilani another great comedian what they think I can do to get better so if I see an older comedian and they watch myself I will ask about what advice can you give me I also watch comedians who aren't as good just to see what they're doing wrong because like sometimes you don't see your own flaws, especially when I'm on stage and like the heat of the moment. But when you see someone who's not as good making a mistake, you have to think to yourself, oh, do I do that? Like, is there anything I can do to be better? So like every day, my goal is just to be better, to be better, to be better. If there's any flaws I have, it's like last night, I did a lot of um, crowd work mm-hmm. where I just like talked to the crowd and in the sugar club, the mic is wireless. So I left the stage, I just walked into the audience and picked on people who were doing whatever. Um, but this time last year, I wasn't able to do crowd work at all. It was even like, like when I started stand-up, I was like, I'm never gonna be that guy who can go off material because I'm not spontaneous like that. Like, but I was like, you know what, crowd work's a weakness. The only way to work on the weakness is to do as much as possible. So I started doing crowd work at the Hapney actually for the first time. I did like three minutes and I was so happy with that. I was like, yes, I was able to like, talk with jokes that i didn't know were going to be funny for three minutes but now i'm doing it for like 10 minutes so like i also do try to look at progress because it's so easy to think oh 
I'm not that good, especially after a bad gig. Like, mm. oh, I'm not that good, like, you know, but like, I try to see where I was last year to be like, oh, you're actually making some progress, especially with stand-up. It's kind of small by small, so, you know, it's good when uh, when you can see the progress happening. You seem quite resilient uh, to, to a lot of problems, but have you ever... In, have you ever kind of been like no actually I'm, I think I'm going to step away from it I don't think this is for me uh, maybe after a bad gig or maybe you've never had a bad gig I've definitely had bad gigs <laughs> I've definitely had bad gigs yeah I've definitely had a lot of bad gigs um, with the qu- I think it's um, I think with stand up the thing is um, you have so many people who are like Dave Chappelle Kevin Hart all those bigger comedians and if you follow stand up a lot, you'll hear them talk about their own gigs. Like Dave Chappelle did a gig in um, the Apollo Theater when he was younger, brought all of his friends, all of his family, got booed off stage. He talks about it in an interview. Over a thousand people in the audience booed wow. him off stage. So it's almost like if that guy's the greatest comedian in the world, according to some people right now, and he got booed off stage and came back, you know, why can't I? Like, that's the worst thing that can happen to you. Yeah. So if I have a bad gig, why would I want to quit? You know, if you kind of, like, I always see him bombing. I just think it's one of the best things in stand-up because it really separates who wants to do it from who doesn't want to. Because the worst thing that... Who's coming back. Exactly. Because the worst thing that can happen is, like, a bomb is painful. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes I bomb and I'm like, I'm going to have to call out sick and work. Like, I'm actually actually not be able to go to work because, like, and even if you see me in work, I'll just, because I work at McDonald's. I'll just be like putting the nuggets and I won't talk to anybody. I'll just have my head down, you know, just if anyone calls my name, I'll be like, oh, should maybe they were at the show. Like I'll be, I'll be a bit paranoid, but like a bomb is, it's also good. Like, I think it's good for humbling acts because, you know, stand up is very easy to get into your head and think you're great. You know, you're going out every night, you're making people laugh. People come up to you after the show, oh, you're great. So it can get, people can get an ego from it. But a bomb, you know, especially since you can be a good comic and still bomb, there's no guarantee that like, not every night's going to be a good night. So a bomb is a good way to set you back down and be like, here, there's still work to be done. You know, you're not mm. the best. So, like, I wouldn't really... Um, bombing and... Um, I almost kind of look forward to them in that I know it's going to happen. I usually don't go six gigs while a bomb. Mm-hmm. Like, after about six, I'm like, it's coming. It has <laughs> to be coming soon. So um, I wouldn't say I would really quit, but um, yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah um, Ross obviously mentioned that you, you I think, to, to bomb first place in the first mm. place and then come back. Um, yeah, first of all, you need to know that you want to do comedy. That's that's true. Second of all, as you, as you mentioned already, you do need resilience. Like, it's very mm. clear. Um, how has your, how has it been growing up in Ireland for you as a black man? Have you built resilience has that come from that background or is that something innate to you how has that experience been for you uh growing up black in ireland to be honest it was it was okay like i guess um i wouldn't say it really made an impact on my stand-up per se because even though i grew up in Ireland, i was still my household was still very very nigeria like nigerian mm. based and my mom raised me like i was in nigeria anyway so like mm. i still um so i never really had many problems growing up or like like some people talk about racism um i haven't really experienced that many racist incidents That's great. you know and even when i do it would be i would even be able to tell you about them because 
it'll, it'll mostly just be like maybe someone looks at you dirty and I'll be like all right buddy and I'll walk away like I wouldn't I would, it wouldn't really be something that would bother me for at all really um so for stand-up I think the only reason that bombing wouldn't bother me is because um I'd say Nigeria living in Nigeria has more of an effect on my career than living in Ireland because when I was in Nigeria you know you get you see like I my dad was pretty well off so I still had like a pretty comfortable life but I get to see people with real problems yeah so for me like people are always like oh if you have a bachelor how do you come back and when you see like people in with actual problems me wanting to go on stage and having a bad gig and coming back like I wanted to do that like it's my choice to go on that stage if it goes bad it's my choice I can stop to doing stand-up today if I wanted but there are some people in bad situations who can't just change those situations so um even if I have a bad gig like I wouldn't really see um it as a problem because I know I've seen people with real problems so it'll just be like more of a Wanted the gig. To be honest, you're 22, and to have that kind of mentality is is really impressive and, and inspirational. To be perfectly honest, like I, I, first of all, I wish I had that kind of mentality when I was well, well 22. I, I think I kind of relatively did, but you see a mm. lot of people, and and they could, uh, it would really help them to have a mentality like you have. Um, first of all, to be like, uh, I think you're imposing your own set of categories working as a comedian um you're your own boss mm. so you said that you know I, it took me a year to improve my crowd work mm. but you obviously sat down and decided i need to work on my crowd work this is like i have oh, there's little boxes it's like a in as a teacher we'd have like an observation so it's almost like you have to do the observations of yourself yeah. and you have categories of i don't know maybe crowd work uh your your first five minutes mm. what, whatever it might be and you're analyzing each of them and trying to improve them yeah. and that's that's all well and good if you're like an engineer or you're a teacher where that's imposed on you mm. but you've obviously said no no this is my set of I don't know if you'd write it down but it might be in your head of things that you need to improve yeah like even um, if someone says something to me like what the best thing that anyone in stand-up actually has said to me is um, Fabi D we did a gig at um, last year in um, Galway and after he came he pulled me over and he was like oh your jokes are good you're good but you need to like with stand up you kind of play a character mm -hmm. on stage and very much when I started even earlier this year it would take me a while to get into that stuck character when I'm on stage I wouldn't just go straight in so he was like you need to go on stage and already be in character and be right so that was something that always stayed in my mind because I was like you know what he's right so like what I do now is I'll just call for applause and be like, yo, go crazy, make noise, no noise. And that allows me to go into character. Even when I was gigging with him last night, he runs on stage and he starts dancing and all that. And like, it's good to just see like that, that, that kind of, um, that's why I always love when people have like criticism where kind of like, cause that's the only way you can grow really. Yeah. Like if you know, like there's some people, um, with standup, um, they get criticism and they like kind of bloat off and I could see why you know because when you do stand up you know like a lot of people do well so for someone to be like ah you were good but I didn't really like that bit you can be like ah nah but everyone was laughing so well, what's the problem but like I think um, for me I feel like especially on the Irish scene the goal should be to be getting better at stand up instead of them um, trying to I don't know all the reasons why people would do it I, I always think that it's always to get better 
because I don't know how much money, I don't know how sustainable a career you can have in comedy just in Ireland. Like my goal is to get as good as possible here so I can go to London or America and try to make money there. Um, yeah, it would be criticism is always good. I think you're uh, you're going to London soon. Yeah, can you explain a little bit more what's happening? Um, I'm going to London next Sunday for the Museum of Comedy um, semi-finals. It's a big competition, wow. and it's over three hundred cool. acts. Yeah, over three hundred acts. So they're now down to the semi-finals is like the final eighty. And um, it's very, very like that's why I've been doing. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's why I've been doing. Yeah, so that we're in the presence of greatness. (laughs) We'll be reposting this one in a couple of years, (laughs) a couple of weeks when he wins. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a tough one to be honest because what's it called? So when the competition, I actually really like um, doing competitions because they're they're it's a very very good, especially in London. It's been probably one of my favorite competitions to do is um, competition. Stand-up styles are very, very different in England and Ireland. And then when I went to do the first, they had a heat, a quarterfinals, now the semifinals, then the finals. When I did the heat, um, it wasn't too hard for me to get through. Like, you could kind of see with the competitors, you could tell who knew what they were getting into. And then the newer acts were like kind of like, oh, people are actually very, very prepared for this. And they weren't as prepared. So um, it was easy enough to get through the quarterfinals. The quarterfinals was about a month ago. And that was when I kind of learned how much more work I still have to do. Because the first guy went on, I was on second. And he had joke after joke after joke. I don't even know if he did setups. In like five minutes, he had to have like 60 jokes. And my style at the time wasn't as fast paced. So I went on. And in the first two minutes, I was like, oh, I'm not going to get through in this competition. I, I don't think I've hit it. Especially if the first guy got that many laughs. And I got a couple big laughs and I was okay with that. But I was like, oh, I'm not going to get through. And every act that went on in that first half, same thing. Joke, 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 joke. Like straight up, fast paced, fun, laugh, 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 laugh. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to get through. And they picked the winners on the night. And I didn't get through on the night. But um, one of the they do like a wild card situation. Mm. So they picked the best people who didn't go through to get through to the semifinals. And one of the judges whispered in my ear, he was like, oh, keep an eye on your emails. But I thought he was just being nice. But then they did wild card me into the semifinals for next week. So I've been doing, uh, I don't know if you've seen on my Instagram, I've been doing a lot of gigs mm-hmm. this last like two weeks. And that's me trying to tighten it up. So that's joke, 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 joke. So that I can just be competitive yeah. with them. So I'm looking forward to the semifinals because if the quarterfinals were that tough, the semifinals are going to be an even different, higher caliber. And it's going to be very high caliber in the sense that a lot of the acts I am competing with, I live in Ireland, but I know I've heard of them, mm-hmm. and I know that they're doing big things. Mm. So it's going to be a very, very interesting to see. I'm sure I'm the only one there that they don't know, because these guys are all like the high class of comedy. They're all like doing the same like high spots, and I'm just some kid from Ireland. They're just going to be like, "What? What's going on here?" But I'm, I'm looking forward to it just to learn. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, uh, just to learn and see what I can do there. Did so. you have a different set between the heat and the quarterfinal? Or did you have majority of the same set, but maybe a few different changes? Oh, did I have the same? It was... Um, Is it a five-minute set you were doing? Yeah, it was five minutes. Five minutes throughout. Okay. The, I did... Yeah, yeah, it was a different... Yeah, I did a different set. I did newer material for the... If I did the material I did in the heat, in the quarterfinals, I would not have gone through to the semifinals mm-hmm. at all. There's no... 
it wouldn't have been even a question and even so um the set i'm doing on sunday is going to be different to the set i did in the it's still the same um bits but i've taken out all the filler so mm-hmm. now it's just punchline 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 to make it as jokey as possible and then um i'm still working on it so i've hoping to get some gigs tonight mm-hmm. hoping to get a gig tomorrow hoping to get a gig wednesday i have gigs for thursday and friday and then I'm flying in Saturday for the competition on Sunday. So um, hopefully I can put in. I just, I, I don't know how well I'm good. I don't think I'm going to get through, but I just want to be competitive because mm-hmm. like I want it to be like the quarterfinals where I knew there was a high chance I wasn't going to get through. I want to at least be able to be like, oh, there's a chance mm-hmm. I might be able to get through tonight. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Are there many other Irish comedians involved in that final? Um, Rob Moriarty. Okay, he's a yeah. great co- comedian as well. I was going to ask you, we were talking about Circle Sessions earlier on, yeah. and I was going to ask you if you'd seen him there, because I know he does. He did, he did um, Circle Sessions are good, but he's a great comedian. He's, um, he started in Ireland and moved to Berlin to do comedy. And mm-hmm. I never really knew there was a Berlin scene, but I was doing comedy a couple months ago at the International Comedy Club in, at the International Bar, mm-hmm. and a comedian called Mike Rice was also amazing was um, we did a gig together and I went on and it was the late show and I don't know if you've ever been to a late show at a comedy club rowdy yeah. you know mm-hmm. like crazy crowded it's people who are already way too drunk and they're like oh there's comedy let's go in so it's very hard to control them heckler friendly yeah yeah very very rowdy so I went on stage and I couldn't control the crowd at all like there are people running to go toilet People shouting for their friends, people at the bar asking, shouting to the crowd, oh, what drink do you want? Like, I couldn't do anything. So I was destroyed. And then I saw Mike Rice go on and he blitzed it. Like, he destroyed it. So I was like, asking, after the show, I was talking to him. I wanted to ask him, like, oh, how did you do it? And his advice was to all, he was saying, I think all young comics should go to Berlin because Berlin actually has a massive English speaking comedy scene to the point where you can do up to 20 gigs a week. Wow. So like the the recommendation for young comedians is go Berlin for six months, do twenty gigs a week, get a lot better than go to London or wherever you want to go to pursue fully. So um, I was actually I'm, I was supposed to be in Berlin right now when I lost the quarterfinals because they don't give you the wild card for a couple like two for a week. Um, I was looking to move to Berlin straight away, so I wanted to be in Berlin by now. Then they gave me the semi-finals and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to put Berlin on notes. I'm still planning on moving early next year for a couple of months for comedy. Well, Why do you think Ireland um, like isn't big enough for you to, to, to make a sustainable life of comedy here? Um, I would say um, the biggest problem is um, I think RTE isn't holding up its, part, its side of things and giving people... Um, opportunities and um, like uh, one show I always heard of is um, Republic of Teddy. Mm-hmm. You guys have heard of it? Yeah. yeah. And I know uh, a good few comedians who were on. I, I didn't watch the show. I've heard comedians talk about it. I've looked up, I've seen comedians. Like the, a lot of the big comedians now were on it and now they're all doing tours and selling out and they're the headliners now. But there's not really that opportunity for. Um, up and coming comedians to have that same level of plot, not even to like do a successful show, but even to fail. Like, I think that failing, you can learn a lot from that. So, if I get a show in RT three weeks from say next year, I that show is not only for me, but almost for the whole comedy scene. Because if that show goes and it fails, 
no comedian is getting another opportunity for a while. So I yeah. feel like RT needs to do its part to like kind of, and also if you fail, you kind of learn from what you fail. The comedians kind of talk to each other. So they'll be like, oh, this is what I did wrong. Oh, this producer wasn't helping me talk to the producer more, but they're not giving the Irish comedians a chance to do that. So I think RT, if um, um, they give the odd opportunity, but it's not enough where um, you would want to risk it. While in London, you can get a lot of, there's Channel 4, ITV, BBC, you know, you can get even the online stuff. Like you, there's a lot more, opportunities there rather than here so um, i mean like historically uh, ireland would have had like a republic of telly the panel yeah like, panels would have all. been like great tv show but they were edgy and you know they were they were a risk that they had to take mm. i think at the moment rt just doesn't want to take that risk or they're going for and there's nothing wrong with it but you know there's an element of just making sure that it's pc enough that everybody mm. will, will watch it and i'm not saying that it it has to be anti-PC or has to be like fuck that fuck this mm. but it needs to be risky enough to laugh because if comedy isn't risky enough you're not really hitting hitting the mark in my opinion like the mm. jester that jester type character is the person who said the thing that didn't could that shouldn't have been said but was free from getting in trouble mm. and I think RT is just trying to police that a little bit and just be a little bit too friendly and not enough bite that people are going to actually continue to watch it every week yeah and I think that's also a problem the, in the internet like kind of leads into yeah. that as well because if they say some edgy said people might there might be an uproar but there everyone takes things differently so people might be mad but people might love the show for that reason so you can't really appeal to people who don't like it for being edgy because you're gonna have people who like so even if you did an edgy show a safe show let there be something for mm -hmm. everyone but um that's the only reason i think that um with the online stuff though with more people doing online comedy that um, it's gonna get better eventually but um, I think that's it's that's the big because there are a lot of acts right now in the Irish scene who are amazing comedians who can do stand up. They can hold a crowd any gig they do. They can smash. But since they haven't been given a platform on RTE, they aren't. They should be doing. I think they should be doing like tours around Ireland. Mm -hmm. But because they haven't been given that TV platform, they can't do it. Like even something as small as being on like the late the late late show. I yeah. think like a small interview like and doing a five minute set. That can go a very, very long way, like in terms of building an audience. Even sticking something. I mean, I, I enjoy the Tommy Tiernan show now myself mm. because it's kind of freewheeling. He's talking to people he's never met before. He's trying to get a good conversation out of them. Mm. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm feeling like something like an, an 11 o'clock comedy show for that you have people, you, you know, six or uh, four or five different comedy sets, 40 minutes, you have a 20 minute advert throughout the whole thing. Mm. That could be something that, at least if you don't like it one week and then you could have a voting thing, you know, mm. there's, there's elements to it, but RT are afraid to put that. But there's a disconnect, like I think, because first of all, not that many young people watch RT anymore or mm. even watch TV. Mm. Um, there, obviously there is a certain percentage of people but I don't know if it's for that reason or what it is is there doesn't seem to be like as you say like if you look back to like the gay burn days of of the RT show right or the sorry the Late Late Show um, now I can't imagine he was super into like Boyzone or anything like that mm -hmm. but they made a big debut on, on the I think he actually kind of laughed at them as well and it's a hilarious performance to watch mm -hmm. but 
they were still given the platform to to be there mm-hmm. and he you know interviewed them like they did a performance he interviewed them and they went on to become obviously very famous um i don't see uh not necessarily ryan tuberty or whoever picks the axe giving a, a young group whether it's a musician or a, a comedian or whatever that same platform anymore and i don't know if that's because they're like no young people watch this show so why would we give them the opportunity mm-hmm. or if it's because we're just not, not going to make the effort and we're not bothered uh, i think that would have been the cheap like giving a stand-up comedian 10 minutes is the cheapest thing you yeah. can do literally yeah. they don't require anything else mm. but a mic yeah you know unless you're david doherty or if you're uh, alex horn in the horn section mm. you're not going to need that much space to be a comedian yeah and that's why it was well, that's why there's so many netflix specials yeah. like there's a netflix special a new netflix special every week because it's so cheap to yes. film like it's it's not that much money especially i feel like the stand-up scene in ireland is so it's almost ready for a big break like that because you have the online comedians who are doing their thing so if you have a show and you have um, a stand-up comedian who might not have the biggest online following but has been going 10 years very very good an online comedian who has the followers so people come to watch and a newer act in five minutes that's a good enough like i mean rt uh, i mean this doesn't want to be bashing rt of all of a sudden but because it's all it's all right but the biggest celebrity ireland has produced in years is jack septicai he's a youtuber youtuber has probably one of the highest followings like he was uh, part of the whole revolution with uh, pewdiepie and stuff like that never been interviewed he's never been interviewed on rte he is the most well-known because he maybe doesn't want to be interviewed though do you know like maybe he doesn't want to be interviewed but but you're right he probably probably not yeah you know how how approached was he that he's just like you know we we want to promote you and youtube uh you rte would get millions of hits you know Mm. put them on their on their social media channels and kind of drum up some sort of new business associate themselves with the online community but uh they're getting rid of ireland's family they're getting rid of ultimate hell week they're just cutting, cutting, cutting at the moment, and it's it's crazy. It's kind of a catch twenty two for them though, like promoting something on YouTube because that's taking. There, it's you know, they want people tuning into there. BBC do it. Channel uh, Four yeah. do it. ITV do it. It's revenue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Revenue. You should be leaning into it, but um, I don't think whoever's making the decisions there Poor very man. clearly seems to be on against it. Like Ireland's fittest family started what ten years ago. I think you said it's the last year of it now. Yeah. Um, I think the the prize money ten years ago is still the same. It was like fifteen grand. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show like they they don't have an increase of of revenue there at all. If not, actually, it's decreasing. Yeah. Um, but when you uh, well, why don't you just sell Donnybrook and feck off into the middle of the country? You know, it's like look at that prime land down south Dublin that they're just making so that they wash. Sell Donnybrook. Put it all in a special for Sean here, <laughs> and he's gonna bring yeah. bring RT into the twenty first century. Oh, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I get behind that, man. I get behind that. Why not? Do you get nervous uh, doing stand up? Yeah, not really, to be honest. I don't really. I I get more excited. I'd be excited to do, and I feel like for stand up, there's always even the the most nervous thing. I think that can make you nervous in stand up is maybe if you're on maybe fifth 
and the first four comics have gone on and no one's laughing. That can be a thing where like you almost but I feel like to do stand up you always have to have that belief of, oh, they didn't laugh at them, but I'm the one. Like you kinda have to have that in the back of your mind. But I'm nervous I'll get nervous if no one's laughing. So mm-hmm. if I'm in you kinda in the first thirty seconds you can kinda tell if an audience likes you or not. And if they haven't laughed in the first thirty seconds and I'm doing ten minutes, I'd be like, Oh boy, this might be this might be a long one. So that would be it's only I'd only be nervous if it's not going well. But um, I wouldn't really be nervous to go on stage. No. Where are your favorite places to do comedy in Ireland? Oh, my favorite places. Shine is a really fun spot. I've been doing a lot, and I always gets a great crowd in there. I love doing that place. Um, I love doing the International Comedy Club at the International Bar because it's it's a place where either. I have the best gig of my career or the absolute worst. Like that place, yeah, is the only place where I've bombed and I've been like, I might have to take a break from that. <laughs> like this might not be for me. Like it, like I can do like four gigs that week and it goes great. But one bad gig in the international can have you like re- reevaluating your life. Like it's that, it's that serious. So that's like one of my favorite places to gig. Um, that place, I'd say um, Wheelands is also fun. Like I do like doing there. I also like the Hapenny. I like the Hapenny because it gets a very, very international yeah. audience. So like when like when I was talking about um, learning how to do crowd work, I started there. And that's a place where if I'm going there, I'll be excited to do crowd work because you can talk there. People who've just come in from like all over the place. They've been in Ireland for like two hours. They want can, to talk. Yeah, exactly. And you can talk to them and just be like, oh, and you can learn about their culture. And make jokes so like that's another fun place but yeah those be my favorite places to gig in Wheelands, uh, is that cherry comedy yeah cherry on the monday yeah that's a fun spot i yeah. actually yeah uh, i performed your first ever cherry comedy night it used uh, to be called pop, pop the cherry yeah. and it was held in dcu in no, the upstairs yeah. of dcu they did one night they, they did two nights there and then they moved into Wheelands. so uh, I, I have the honor yeah, of performing fun. the original the original night yeah, that's play. awesome it's funny because I always see those early lineups and I'm always like I wonder where all these people oh, went I'm here. <laughs> I'm here not doing it anymore like. <laughs> that's funny yeah, great Sean thanks so much for doing this it's been a real pleasure chatting to you yeah that's yeah. great thanks for having me like it was great fun like, yeah. I really enjoyed it yeah yeah, yeah. cool I hope we'll hopefully see you on the, on the 7th of December yeah, uh, we'll, we'll give more more details um, Ross as always thanks for for being here thanks Mark yeah thanks guys for listening really appreciate it even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.